So this morning, whether you're with us uh, on campus or online, we are continuing this series called Expand Your Worldview. And today we want to talk a little bit about um, expanding our worldview with prayer. And prayer is this, uh, is this communication we have with God. And unfortunately for a lot of us, the, the communication sometimes gets to have a little bit of a, of a barrier to it. And so we want to look this morning at some things that happened in the first century church and the way that they uh, utilized prayer, the way prayer was a part of what they were doing. Because when you read the book of Acts, uh, the, Luke, who, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us time and time again about the role of prayer and the way that prayer made a difference. And I don't know about you, but, but there are lots of ways people pray, okay? I mean, I, I, they, a lot of different kinds of prayers. I mean, I, I can remember the most sincere prayer I ever heard. Uh, was a, a prayer uh, that was coming. My family and I were traveling. There was a car accident around uh, in front of us. It was on a very rainy day down in Georgia um, on Interstate 60 or 75 headed, headed south. And it was a horrible accident. And I remember, I remember coming up on that accident and getting out and walking up next to him and, and hearing probably the most sincere prayer I've ever heard. It was just two words, uh, Oh God. <laughs> oh God. Or then, then there are those of us who, you know, pray for the things that we want, okay? It's like, dear Jesus, give me what I want. But in the, in the first century church, and I would suggest in the, in the 21st century church, there's a, there's a role that prayer needs to play. And in this particular season of the world, in, in terms of where we are with the global pandemic, where we are with the economy, where we are with our own election process coming up this Tuesday, which, by the way, if you've not voted yet, I really encourage you to join me uh, on Tuesday at the polls to, to vote, cast your vote, uh, cast it from your values as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. But I, but I, wanna, I want us to look at, in this kind of season, we tend to think, well, you know, our time, the time we live in is like the worst time or the most important time. But yet, historically, there, are, there were times in the life of the church. And about 10 years after Jesus' resurrection, about 10 years after the birth of the church at Pentecost, the church entered into a, a season of persecution a season of deep persecution. It came at the hands of a, of a guy named Herod Agrippa I. Now, Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of the Herod that you read about in the Christmas story. And, and he had been raised in a, quote, royal family. In fact, when he was a kid, he was shipped off to Rome where he was, even though he was by lineage uh, connected with uh, Israel and the Jewish people, he was raised in the Roman culture, and he was raised with a group of other children, many of whom ascended to power. In fact, his best friend ascended to be the Roman emperor when Herod Agrippa I was actually an adult. And so because of that relationship, he was given authority and power. In fact, Israel, where he was from and what he, where he took over the kingdom, he, he actually was given more land and it was expanded because of his relationships with his childhood friends in Rome. And this is, this is about A.D. 44. And there's a story in the story of the church in the first century that, that talks about the impact this man had for a season, a short season, on the life of the church. 
And it was a time in which there was great adversity in the life of the church. There was, there was this sense that, that while God had been doing marvelous things for 10 years, tens of thousands of people had heard the gospel. And, and as we've been looking, it had gone beyond just people in Jerusalem and gone out to Antioch and, and different places, and the gospel was being shared. And, and when Herod Agrippa I became the, became the king, he, he was someone that wanted to please the people in power. He wanted to get more power with the people, more approval from the people. And so he, he did something that lets us see exactly how the church responds to adversity. Listen as I read from Acts chapter 12, and I'm going to start at verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, or the Passover. And when he had seized Peter, he put Peter in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring Peter out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for Peter was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring Peter out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries were put before the door guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off Peter's hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And Peter did so. And the angel said to Peter, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter went out and followed the angel. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. The gate opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left Peter. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people, the Jewish leadership were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel, his guardian angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw Peter and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So in the midst of this adversity, in the midst of a king who is horribly wrong, who is arresting people and beheading James, the brother of John, having him killed by the sword means they beheaded him. 
And now the church is having people arrest them. And they, you know, they kind of come past this, they thought, after the persecution, after Stephen's death 10 years earlier. And, and now suddenly there's more persecution, there's more animosity, there's more adversity. And the church, the church is powerless. These are not politically powerful people. These are not people who have influence. These, these, these people have just one thing, one thing that they can do. They can pray. You see, in the midst of adversity, that's what we do. As, as followers of Jesus Christ, in the midst of adversity, what we do is we pray. Uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine was traveling cross-country on an airplane trip. Uh, we, she was actually coming to a meeting where I was. And at the first break, she said, Carrie, I have to tell you this story. I know you're a preacher. Uh, I, I never get to talk in front of people. I'm an accountant. And, uh, but but I, I just want you to know that, that, that I just saw the greatest preacher story ever on the airplane trip coming here. I'm like, really? I mean, I'm curious. What's a, you know, a, 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 an accountant who's going to tell a preacher a preacher story, all right? I'm like, so what's the story? She said, well, you know, it was a cross-country trip. I actually was coming in from L.A., and, and as I was coming across, they, you know, they, about halfway into the flight, they do a, a service. Uh, it's not really a meal, but it, it's kind of, you know, a little bit of a snack and some drinks and things. And there was this guy sitting across the aisle from me. And I noticed when we got on the plane, he, he'd been in a, obviously been on a business trip. He was obviously headed home. He was so tired and so fatigued that as soon as the plane got off the ground and the seatbelt light went off, he just, you know, took the seatbelt off, lowered his seat back. He did put the tray table down so that when they served the snacks or whatever, he, they could put it on. He said, but, but he just put it down and, and he was, I mean, he was out like a light. He was just asleep. And then... And then as we're coming across about an hour in, I mean, I mean, the guy is literally snoring on the plane. I mean, he is so relaxed. He is so out of it. And then we hit turbulence. And, so, and I don't mean just a little bit of turbulence, Carrie. So I, it, it was huge. In fact, it was the kind of turbulence where it just all of a sudden, it surprised the pilot. There was no warning. And now suddenly the plane is rocking and people are shouting and the food is flying everywhere because it's right in the middle of when they're serving the food. The turbulence hits. And this guy who's across the aisle from me, the turbulence is so bad that it throws him out of his seat onto the floor, right into the aisle, right at my feet. And when he fell out of the seat onto the floor, everything's going crazy. He's from a sound sleep. It wakes him up, and he looks up, and he immediately goes, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. I hope it's not too late. Please don't let me die now. And then he looked up and saw me. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, I think Jesus heard your prayer, and I don't think we're going to die. <laughs> See, I think sometimes that's the way we pray. We, we, we pray in the adversity, in the midst of it, we, we just you know, shout these prayers out to God. Hey, God, do this for me. But, but the early church, they prayed because they had no other thing they could do. They, they prayed because there, there was no voting for power. They prayed because they, they had a, a friend, a teacher, a, an apostle, Peter, who was in jail. And they knew he was going to die. They, they had seen this 10 years earlier with Jesus. There was going to be a trial, but it was going to be a mock trial. 
They had seen this with James, the brother of John, who had been arrested and beheaded. The only reason that, that Peter was in jail and not dead is because it was against the Jewish law to, to kill someone by sword or crucifixion during the seven days after the after Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So as soon as the seven days were up, Peter was a dead man. And they knew that, and Peter knew that. But there's a couple of things about this story that I want you to hear. First of all, I want you to hear that when they were in the midst of adversity, they prayed, but the prayer was not a demand of God to get what they wanted. It's what Luke calls, they were in earnest prayer. Look at it again. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jewish leadership, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the the church has nothing else they can do. Peter is imprisoned and he's chained, literally, uh, Luke tells us, with a guard on either side of him, chains on both hands, and then two guards at the door. When it says four squads of door, these, these four guards rotated through. And this was about twice as much as they put on a normal prisoner. So Herod, Herod was pretty insecure about what was going to happen with Peter and about who would do what with Peter. But, but when that happens, then here the church is praying. And this is the part I want you to hear. The, the, in the midst of the adversity, the church is praying earnestly. And they're praying and asking God to deliver Peter. And Peter, Peter is in prison. Now here's how much Peter trusts God. He's in prison. He knows he's going to die. He knows there's going to be a, a trial and he's going to be found guilty. And he knows he's going to be put to death. And what does he do? I mean, what would you do if you're in jail and you know that the next day you're going to be executed? The next day you're going to die. I mean, most of us, if we're honest, we're like making a list of who we want to apologize to. We're, we're, we're antsy. We're walking. You know, we're, we're trying. We're, you know, Peter is asleep. He's just asleep. How, how much does he trust God? He knows that to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's already settled this. He's going to go be with Jesus when he dies. It's not going to to scare him to die. He is so secure and so trusting of God that he is asleep. So much asleep that as I read for you, when the angel shows up, the angel has to kick him in the side to wake him up. I love this, all right? Lights shine down in the, in, in the cell, bright shining light. Angel shows up. Now, the guards, they don't wake up. The guards, they don't see this. And, and, and Peter is so sound asleep that, that literally the angel kind of kicks him in the side and says, hey, Peter, wake up. And the chains fall off of him. And he says, hey, put your belt on. Get ready. Come on, let's go. Put your sandals on. And so Peter gets up. And he's following the angel. Now, here's the part of the story that's that's huge. As he's following the angel, Peter thinks it's a dream. Peter Peter doesn't believe that he's being led out. He just thinks he's dreaming this. It's a vision. Because after all, Herod is the most powerful guy. The king has spoken. He's going to die. But can I tell you something you might want to remember? Particularly in an election year. There is no human being who's more powerful than Jesus. There is no kingdom that's more powerful than the kingdom of God. 
There is no politician who has the authority they think they have. Everyone comes under the authority of God. All of us come under the authority of Jesus. And, and so here's Peter thinking it's a dream. And I, basically, God answers the prayers of the people who are praying earnestly for his deliverance. God honors the trust that Peter has. But, because, but, but, but sometimes when we pray, God answers prayers in ways we might not see. I mean, look at it again. Peter went out and followed the angel. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision or a dream. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. No human being opened that gate. It opens, and they went out, the angel and Peter, and they walk along one street, one street out of prison. Suddenly, the angel leads him. Here's the part I love. When Peter came to himself, when, when Peter who had trusted God so much that he's literally sleeping in a sound sleep on the night before he knows he's going to be executed, Peter comes to himself. He realizes, wait a minute. I'm sure that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. See, the fact is God does answer prayer. The fact is God does work for our good. The fact is God does love you more than anybody else loves you. And when God loves you that much, and when God answers our prayer, and when we trust God as much as Peter trusted God, as much as the early church trusted God, then what happens is this. When we pray, God answers the prayers. But here's the deal. I wish we could learn this. See, the fact is we think God only answers prayer if he answers it the way we think he's supposed to. You see, we pray a prayer and tell God how we want it answered. But what God says is this, trust me. Don't make me subservient to your prayers. Instead, you be subservient to my word. Instead of you telling me what needs to happen, hey, what about this? You say to me, hey, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my daily bread. And let me, let me forgive others the way you've forgiven me. You see, prayer is not this thing where we call God in for an audience and command Him to do things. No, no, prayer is this place where we come in subjection to Him in relationship with Him, and we say, God, look, you're God, we're not. You know more than we know. And sometimes, friends, because of our perspective as human beings, we miss what God is doing because, because God doesn't do it the way we tell Him to do it. Sometimes when we pray, we miss seeing the answers of our prayers because of our ideas about how God should answer prayer. I mean, Peter's walking out of this place, and he thinks it's just a dream. And then he discovers, no, this is real. But it's not just Peter. It was the people who were actually praying for him. This is, to me, this is the part of this story I love because it shows the humanity of the early church. It shows the humanity of Christian people. It shows the, the faults that we have. 
See, when we, when we pray, sometimes we miss seeing the answers to our prayers because of our ideas of how God should answer that prayer. And this, this shows us exactly. Look at the scripture. Look at the story. This is, some, this is really just, it's so fun and it's so human. When Peter realized that it wasn't a vision, that this was real, he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many people were gathered together and were praying. What were they praying for? Praying for Peter to be saved. Praying for Peter to get out of jail. Praying for Peter to be free. They're praying to God for Peter to be free. And he's free. God has answered the prayer. Peter now knows. God has answered prayer. God has brought me out. So he knocks at the door of the gate. So this is evidently a big enough house that there's a gate and a courtyard and then a house. They're in the house praying. He's at the gate knocking. As he's knocking at the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, this is, this, is just, this is just so fun. This is like you couldn't write this, okay? You couldn't imagine this. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she forgets to open the gate. Literally. She runs back into the house. Hey, you guys are in here praying that Peter will be set free. Peter's at the gate. And, and everybody, look at this. She didn't even let him in. He's still standing outside the gate. And she's telling everybody, hey, Peter's at the gate. And they look at her and go, you're out of your mind. Peter's in jail. We're in here praying for him to get out of jail. So don't tell us that he's standing at the gate. I mean, that might mean God actually answered our prayer. And she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his guardian angel. It's not Peter. And she's going, look, I know angels and I know Peter, and this is no angel, this is Peter. And Peter just keeps knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm about to tell you something that, that God's been placing in my heart the last few weeks. I, I, I want you to hear what, I, what I'm trying to say. It's this story. See, there are some of us who've been praying for years, some of you for decades, for God to bring revival, for God to help people turn back to Him, for God to pour His Spirit out upon the world. And now here we are in the middle of a pandemic. Now here we are in the middle of an economic upheaval. Here we are in the middle of elections, elections here in this nation and elections around the world where violence and hatred and bigotry are all being exploited and used to hurt people. And we look and we go, God, when are you going to answer our prayer? Could it be? Is it possible? Could we consider the reality that maybe, just maybe, God is answering our prayers? Because in order for some people to be set free, in order for some people to turn to God, they've got to come to the end of themselves. They've got to come to the place where they realize nothing human beings can create will actually make harmony and unity and togetherness. Only God's Spirit brings those things. Only Jesus brings that kind of deliverance. Only Jesus brings those kinds of harmonies in the souls 
of people. <laughs> We're like some of us, the people in the house, Aunt Mary, the mother of John Marks. We're in the house praying for God to do something. God's out here doing it. It's happening. People are beginning to realize, you know what? We can't fix this. This is beyond us. We need a supreme being. We need someone smarter than us. We need Church, is it possible that in all the adversity, our prayers are being answered, and now it's time for us to not stop praying, but to start loving, to pray and love and reach out and to extend mercy and grace. So that indeed that prayer Jesus taught us to pray becomes a reality that his kingdom is coming in us. But unfortunately, sometimes because we think we know exactly how God should answer the prayers of our heart and we tell him to answer it in just this way, when he starts answering it, we miss it. Just like Peter standing at the gate knocking, Jesus is standing at the gate of the hearts of his people knocking and saying, hey, I just want to let you know God's got this. I just want to let you know this is going to be okay. I just want to let you know out of this much pain, out of this much hurt, out of this much adversity, I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring joy. I'm going to bring deliverance. And for some of you listening to me, either on campus or online or on demand later on. What you're hearing is, is something that is not just about the globe. It's about your world. It's about where you live. Because there's stuff you've been asking God to take out of your heart, stuff you've been asking him to relieve you from the pain, stuff you've been asking him to deliver you out of. And while you're saying the words, you don't really believe he can do the work. But what this story tells us is it's not just a dream or a vision that God could heal you and make you whole. It's not just a dream or a vision that God could bring revival and renewal around the world and in our nation and, and around the governments of this world. It's not something that can be done by human beings. We figured that out. But in Jesus Christ, there is healing. There is hope. There is deliverance. There is new life. And when we pray, when we pray, we discover that. We discover freedom in a relationship with God. For Peter, he motioned to them when they came to the gate and they realized it really was him. He says, Shh, be quiet. There's guards out there. They're looking for me. But here's what I want you to do. I, I, I want you to go tell this story about the angel. I want, you to, I want you to tell the others about what God has done. And so I want you to go tell James. That's James, the brother of Jesus. Remember, James, the brother of John, has been killed. And go tell the brothers. That's the, the other Christians in the, in the city. And then he departed and went to another place. See, God, God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to, to understand how to talk to him so that he's in charge of your life, and you're, you're the one who's listening to what he wants to say.